0: And welcome to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards, and I'm joined in a car by the irreverent, the doctor, the punmeister, Andrew Bannister. Andrew
1: Bannister. And we are indeed, yes, I am, well, actually the only person who calls me Andrew is my, my wife or my mother when I'm in trouble, so I immediately tense up when someone calls me Andrew. But um, yeah, we're in a car and we are driving. We are recording this. Uh, sure, so we should take a ph- we should take a photo of this and put it with a with a podcast uh, episode because it's just you know, we have a microphone popped up <laughs> on the dash. We have Aaron holding the laptop. I'm driving. We are on route to Cedarwood Festival, where we are doing a live uh, episode. Uh, very exciting today. So yes, you are. We are recording this on the M1 motorway.
0: Yeah, this is the non this is the non live this is the dead episode.
1: Before the live episode. Before the live episode, but it might come out after, the, I mean, who knows in the order of things. That's but true. It's, but it's very exciting. Uh, the You know, there's nothing like the British motorway system. And uh, for American listeners to go, I'm, I'm, British motorways, they're like American highways, but a third of the size. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, quite impressed as well by your car. You were just showing me, you, you've, you've got this one of these kind of self... Semi-self-driving cars, which I, I was very impressed with your itinerant schedule. You're normally driving everywhere. Really, you're not driving
1: everywhere. I'm not driving the car. Your drives. Volvo
0: is driving you.
1: It's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. we sold a, we sold our a house a house near London some a few years ago, and uh, we're quite blessed that we made a bit of money on it. So we paid a large chunk of our mortgage off. And then, you know, we've, Astrid's my wife's family, have had Volvos for years. They last for years. This is not a Volvo ad, by the way. Um, and so we thought, well, why do not? Other Volvos are <laughs> And so we bought ourselves a car that we knew would last for a while. But one of the things that's nice on this car, yeah, as long as it can see like the white lines and things, it, it, it sort of drives. You have to get your hands on the wheel. So uh, we'll find out. If there's a large crashing noise <laughs> halfway through the episode.
0: This is the last ever know. part of the But car. I do
1: stress for people listening or any police officers listening, I am driving both hands on the wheel. Aaron is operating the computer. All I have to do is talk. We
0: did, you did Andy did have to stop me a few minutes ago as. I was holding up the laptop to try and listen back to a test recording, and then a police car coming past. Me. We put, put the laptop down. put the laptop—it's it not, not. We're not doing anything illegal, but it, it just looks just a, look a bit, a bit dodgy. Holding a laptop high so we can listen to the speakers. So, um, and who knows? This might not even record properly. Who knows? You know, we'll see. this might end up in the archives like the other episode. That's, that's right, in the archives. Yeah. Uh, we'll see anyway so um, yeah we actually have got an episode uh, planned that we are actually going to talk about stuff no, we won't just talk about Volvos with the M1 um, no that no. we could do I'm sure we could string out that would be a very, uh, a very exciting and, <laughs> exciting but,
1: episode and the coffee just went up my nose because I laughed at my own joke there well there so. you are it's
0: God's providence in some way Uh judging you for laughing. You there Well, actually, I don't know. As someone
1: who needs caffeine to get going in the mornings, maybe maybe inhaling the caffeine is a better way of doing it than drinking it. Maybe I've been doing it wrong. <laughs>
0: That's right. You can get straight in all through, through the eye socket. I think you through can, the, yeah, through the eye you can socket. get stuff straight to the bloodstream. Um, so, we uh, to thought today it would be interesting to, uh, as we are kind of en route, it'd be good to do a, a bit of sort of mopping up, a couple of mop-ups. Um, and I think we're combining a, a couple of Follow up um, issues together. So we recently did um, uh, an episode on masculinity. Uh, we called it masculinity, um, men masculinity and mission. We called it, didn't we? We did. That was um, right. And it's interesting. That, uh, it's a really, really good. Positive and also some sort of, you know, uh, feisty feedback in various quarters. Pers- you know, different sort of. Uh, interactions we've had on or off social media so it's good to sort of do a little follow-up there's more things we could sort of add off the back of it but perhaps the most interesting thing we could start off by talking about off the back of that episode i mean if you haven't listened to it go and listen to it um if not you may be interested in these (laughs) things anyway because um um well they're they're relevant to the mission of the church aren't they in in all sorts of ways but um jordan peterson right so we mentioned we mentioned jp canadian um Public intellectual. It makes just it sound
1: like you're a friend of him, doesn't it? You? you go, well, I was hanging out with JP. JP, JP said
0: Peterson. Well, that's what I say about. It. Yeah, I was hanging out with AB. AB, bit, you know,
1: AB. 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 John Peterson. Anyway, back to Jordan so Peterson. So he was. He released his.
0: You know, that that. So those of you may not have heard it by now, but I'm sure many of you who saw it trending will have done at the time. The day after our episode, clearly he listened to our episode. Um, so, he yeah. released this um, video called uh, a message to the Christian churches, and so in this is a direct kind of call summoning the church to go and get the men go and welcome the men back who've been disenfranchised by the church for so many years and stop preaching a gospel of you know change the uh, you know, climate change and just social justice issues actually you need to be saving souls i need to give men a place where they can come and find their purpose in life and, and bring cultivation to this world and all these sort of things so it was kind of Jordan Peterson putting his kind of standard message to men in the context of churches and saying this is a place where they need to be to call home and where they can actually do you a lot of good and you can do them a lot of good. And so it had, it had a really, really mixed response on social media um, uh, across the board. But one of the interesting things about it was, and I was picking this up in a blog post I wrote about it, was um, the responses from non-Christian men, yes.
1: <laughs> which was kind of fascinating, wasn't it? So yeah, so one of the things I found interesting was exactly those responses from... Um from non-christians and as you say quite a lot of responses you picked a few on your on your blog article um you know guys saying i'd given up on church written it off and uh, and then actually this is about me to try again quite a lot of things along those lines but then as i looked at the feedback online and it is mixed and i always yeah. think it's important to qualify um you know John's fascinating but you know i haven't got a particular candle as a whole to, to, to him in the sense he isn't a Christian he's he's a very confused himself uh, spiritually and um, and so on and uh, but the thing he still, still some things that are interesting but what was interesting more of the pushback more of the pushback was um, was from Christians so it was more than all Christians liked it and more of the Christians were like I'm less sure about this and I just found it absolutely fascinating hmm. actually well done on making the turning there by the way. Yes, and I think actually I, I actually missed the earlier turning because we were busy podcasting and the the, okay, can, old, the <laughs> navigation system is now going, dudes.
0: I I can hear I can hear you like building up to your point. kind of like, you know, and it's sort of like I'm just getting round to making my point and I'm just really driving right now, I'm trying um, to drive uh, at the same time
1: and just navigate <laughs> around this little intersection. But we made, uh, it, we made it. We made it. We
0: turning. Kind of thing, well, so I sorry. So. Um, yeah, but, but as you say, it's um, i uh, It's it's something that I think we yeah always need to bear in mind with with people like jordan peterson i think most christians though you know we know about his i mean most people know about his sort of problematic theology i don't think we look to peterson as a theologian or a pastor he's there as a really helpful wise voice on all these sorts of issues that churches aren't speaking about that's why i was trying to get out in my um good fight post about it but um it's interesting that you know the most of the flack came not from non Christians, but from Christians. Yes. Now I understand that obviously that might be because these are Christians who want to guard doctrine in the way that we would want to guard doctrine and make sure that people aren't inviting confusing or unhelpful gospel-less ideas into the church. But at the same time, we're we really with him. We're trying to talk about someone who's able to see things and, and make wise statements and say, "Look, can't we rejoice in the good things that are going on here? We're not we're not accepting his kind of weird, you know, moral theope- uh, therapeutic deism or Uh, which is the sort of you know the belief that god is almost fulfilling your own personal need it's not that he doesn't almost need to do anything you don't have any relationship with him it's almost like he just serves this religious purpose in your life to give you a framework um emotionally and morally but actually we, we can say that he's seeing things that would be of benefit to the kingdom man, and would remind the church of, of our grand purpose. And the too yeah. many men don't really know the church's forces. You're right.
1: And I think actually what's interesting is, I mean, of course, biblically, there's a precedent for this, isn't there? I was thinking about this the other day that, um, you know, I was reading in my daily devotionals the other day, I was reading through through Ezra. And of course, you've got, you know, that's a reminder, you've got Darius mm. uh, in there and Cyrus and the way that the Lord uses them. And then, of course, in the book of Acts, you've got, you know, Gamaliel. Mm. Uh, who's you're uh, not a Christian he's a Jewish rabbi but, yeah. but to go you know spend, spend some incredible wisdom um, even though other stuff you know we wouldn't necessarily you know be aboard with and so the idea that you know god can use prophetically yeah you know men and women who are not inside the church Mm. i think is a biblical thing. yeah so i think i think you're right and i think maybe i was actually as i was reflecting on the need i had to qualify myself sometimes even you and i who speak about this stuff a lot you almost feel you have to put the defense in because otherwise you're going to get people piling on going you're saying something positive about jp and going yeah even a broken clock is right Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. Broken clock is right twice today, You know, Richard Dawkins says some things yeah. I agree with. Um, yeah, but let's not even over
0: caveat it. George Peterson is saying much more wise things than Richard Dawkins, and mu- really? much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and many more, many more wise. Sorry, many I'm more. sorry, yeah, Richard, yeah, yeah. if
1: you're listening to this show. Aaron and I will talk about this. Later. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I agree. I agree because with Because
0: we need to be clear and go. No, it's it, of course we can caveat everything. And say, well, we're all terrible and we're all good in mixed ways. So therefore, when we say anything, we're really saying nothing, and nothing we're saying everything. No, we can really say that he has more wisdom than. A vast majority of people that we're seeing in the public sphere. So that's what we're saying, and we're saying that we can even affirm it in a way that um, is beneficial theologically, even if his own theology is the basis of it's confused. I think the listeners could be critical and go, "Actually, though, would you do this if it was someone wokey, super wokey? Right? We we might be like, and I, I that would be an interesting thing to battle. What do you reckon about well, that? You well, know, Gina, there's know.
1: a. There's an interesting thought I hadn't had before, but you're right that, you know, you have Christians quoting, you know, I've come across, you know, sort of church leaders happily quoting Greta Thunberg and stuff, yes, Um, pretty uncritically, even though spiritually Greta is all over the map, yes, Um, or a lot of the environmental movements actually, because I read a lot of environmental stuff, the environment's an issue that I'm passionate about, that I know, but there's a lot of really good writers in the environmental movement who are deeply influenced by Buddhism, yeah. Now that doesn't worry me because I go, okay, I can filter that out and be aware of that. But I you're right, when I hear people quote those guys and don't put the caveat on. Yeah. Um, so you're right, I think there is a t- there is a there's a tendency to caveat voices more from the I don't like right-left labels, but from the from the right um there yeah. are from the left. So with you Jordan Peterson especially. And I do wonder whether it's because because JP is contra more controversial culturally. As Christians, we're a bit afraid of going, oh gosh, if we say he said something that we agree with, uh, we'll have the Twitter mob pile onto us, and therefore to avoid the Twitter mob piling onto us, we'd better just caveat. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah, so we caveat. To yeah. We caveat. It's interesting who
1: we caveat and who we yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and
0: I, I, would you agree though that, that there's certain no, people? I wouldn't. <laughs> you're such an agreeable guy that we. Oh, no, I mean, I'm not. I mean your, your, my life is in your hands right now. So oh, actually, no, it's not. It's in the Volvo's hands. The, <laughs> <What's> the, <laughs> if only a, you were actually driving this There's thing, a button I've never
1: <laughs> seen on this car before. marked eject? <laughs> yeah. What does that button do? <laughs> yeah, this is actually your James Bond
0: super Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, yeah. Your, it's your uh, Man of Mystery uh, car. This is where all the Solas funding goes, isn't it? Into these sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yes. <laughs> This is actually a $250,000 car or something.
1: Anyway, Um, going back to reality. Back to reality.
0: Where are we? We were talking about so. So it's it's these figures, right? So there are people who um, it might not be a good idea to draw attention to them. So I understand why people think, because they don't like Peterson, they don't like his message, they say, I don't think anyone should even talk about the redeemable assets in what he says, because of course there's redeemable assets in what anyone says. But there's some people you think actually it's not a good idea. It almost let's the, let, let's use the let's use the example that ever, we we always like to use or everyone likes to use. What would you say about the Nazis? You know, would you say at the time? Oh, but they're doing so many great things. They're building the autobahn, and people are going, yeah. But there's the anti-Semitism and there's just the general fascism and hatred. Yeah, but you know, look at all the good stuff. We're we're all a mixture of good and bad. There's there's it'll be advantage- it'll be disadvantageous to show the good at certain times. So that's what they're thinking. I I would disagree. I would say actually, Jay Jordan Peterson has more than just a kind of mix of good and bad. There's actually a significant amount of good, yeah. even if we need to spit out the bones. yeah, and I
1: think the other thing that the other thing that goes on actually with someone like, say, Jordan, that I think go, is is true actually across the political uh, domain. On for those who are you know, again more on the right. This goes for some of the voices on the left, but more more on, more on the right at the moment where we are culturally is the fact that I think you've got a lot of people who are saying some stuff that is actually quite, a lot of it is helpful. Yeah, as you said, there's a few bones, maybe maybe less than people realize. Um, But what those folks don't have is the gospel underpinnings to it. And so, you know, some of the thinking isn't joined up, there's some stuff in there that's unhelpful, and then some of the foundations are missing. So that for me would include, you've got Jordan Peterson, We've talked about Douglas Murray yeah. on this show, yeah. to a lesser extent, Some yeah. like Tom Holland. Yeah. Um, yeah, And then you've got people like Helen Joyce, her book Trans, I think is incredibly helpful. But uh, Helen's a secularist, so I think at times is missing some pieces of the story. Kathleen Stock, again, on, on feminism. Yeah. Um, some really helpful things. And here's somebody who was brave enough to actually, you know got canceled from her university poster because of yeah. uh, her belief in, in, in biology. Um, But again, you recast and you go, there's a piece missing. There's a gospel piece missing. But maybe rather than throw them out because there's a piece missing, how do we say, well, okay, let's take this and figure out what we can use? And, of course, a biblical example of this would be, I mean, the classic place would be Acts 17, Augustus the unknown God. You know, Paul could have come in and gone, well, this is total paganism. This is utterly useless. It is hopeless. We throw it out. We don't mention it. No, he actually boldly builds a whole sermon around it and, of course, quotes... Greco-Roman poets, again, yeah. even though some of those Greco-Roman poets are, are, are you know, riddled with polytheism, but Paul had the wisdom to go, there's some stuff in there, yeah. that is really helpful. Mm. So let's use that. Um, even while if you said to Paul, really? You're quoting that guy? And Paul goes, yeah, hey, I know that guy is like bat crazy when it comes to uh, yeah. I you think, know, theology. I think
0: the thing about that, the, really, the amazing thing about Paul's ministry, I, mean, I know we talk about certain examples like that a lot, but, and we should because that's a perfect one for our time. He's so, he comes across as so fearless and bold, not only in confronting non-Christians, but also in not in not caring about what they think, but not caring about what the religious people he's part that you know, the Christians actually think, let alone what the, the Jews think as well. So it's fascinating that he doesn't go there and think, oh, I'm going to get in trouble with so-and-so, I mean, Peter's going to send me a letter and be annoyed or something. Uh, it's just interesting that he's fearless at confronting the things within his own tribe as well as beyond. And I yeah. think that's really, really important because we we, need, we often are people who are trying to do any kind of pioneer mission or evangelism or just, and I'm not talking about massive ministries, I'm not talking about, you know, like Solas or something, I'm just, but I'm talking about things, just anyone in your life, in your, in your everyday interactions with somebody, You're trying to make connections with people who aren't Christians. You might get flack from other christians for doing so or the way that you do it and of course there's things that we need to keep in check we need to just make sure that we are living um, uprightly and beyond reproach in all sorts of ways and we're not tolerating nonsense um, and not tolerating um, or giving a free pass to things that are actually un- unhelpful or harmful but at the same time i just think that the kind of daring connections paul is willing to make are very instructive to us and so i, I think when we think about people like peterson when you can affirm what's good and what's virtuous, you know, like as Paul himself says, whatever is good and noble and, and yeah. honourable, then uh, think about these things and, and dwell upon them. Um, and I think there's things that we can affirm, the virtues we can affirm in in much of what people like, Peterson says, but what we need to be aware of is of course the deism, the fact that now, because uh, Western culture is getting so, um, yeah, divergent in, in its sort of fundamental beliefs, in way it's chaotic really, anarchic, People are looking for anything that will give them a system and a structure again, so religion obviously offers you that that foundation and this is why you could look at the the Douglas Murrays or the the Petersons and go, okay, they're they're recognising that something's missing because we've lost Christianity, so even Douglas Murray would say the same. Christianity, the loss of it has been felt. And then they may just look in gen- generic religion for an answer. We, we want to say no you need Jesus, you need to actually meet Jesus, you need to recognize Jesus is resurrected, he sent his Holy Spirit and it's not just a case of yes. subscribing to a system of beliefs because of course that will give you meaning and structure more so than the anarchy that we're seeing in like woke land but it's also not enough and there's other problems that will be introduced when you do that. So that's where Christians want to caveat this and, and, and say actually we you know, we, we, we need to be careful, but I think they're missing the main point. Like, of course, we, we ought to know, of course, that we're not going to allow deism um, just into the church and to say, this is fine and we don't need you to yeah. talk about Jesus anymore. What we're just saying is that he's doing a great job of, of providing a sort of smashing down some of the idols for us yes. <laughs> along the way and clearing the ground in some way.
1: Well, it's interesting because I was... Um I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday because I was listening to, while well, I was driving up um, from Oxford, where I've been speaking to pick up you on the route to Cedarwood, I was listening to another podcast I quite like, Trigonometry, which oh, yeah. we've referenced a couple of times on, um, on Pod of the Gaps. And in fact, that that podcast was one of the podcasts that inspired me to sort of talk yeah. to, to you and initially, then Michael, about when we started kind of this um this podcast back in the day when there were three of us because I think they're not Christians in this space but they 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 made a reference to something I'd forgotten about which was is Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs Yeah. came up in a trigonometry episode yesterday for those who aren't aware of that that's this sort of uh, is, it's it's traditionally drawn as a pyramid and at the bottom of the pyramid you have very basic needs like the, the need for food and shelter and then above that you have the need for you know things like meaningful work and, and the, the need for podcasts is second is it, but yes. as it goes up the very top of the pyramid is the need for meaning Huh. And yeah. that is like it's quite clever the way it's done. That's the the, the apex of where everything's heading. Now people don't tend to spend as much time thinking about that. If basically your basic question in life is where's the next meal coming from, but in the West where even when you know life is tough, we have a, a recession, we have you know war in the, on the edge of Europe and so on. The fact of the matter is we are fed, we are clothed. You know, we plug our gadgets and the power is on. Yeah. So yeah. we are a culture where actually the meaning question is by far the most important question because the other is yeah. basically answered. And so I totally agree with you. I think secularism has totally failed to answer the meaning question, utterly failed. And now we're we we you know we've I think we're almost yes we're still in a post-Christian period, but now we're almost in a post-secular period where where people are now trying to look to fill that, that vacuum. So I think as the church we're going to have to pivot really quickly. Yeah. To thinking about. How do we engage you know, with this? In fact, the, 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 the uh, event I was speaking at in Oxford was a, it was a, 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 a conference on uh, apologetics and world religions put on by my friends at the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. And it was quite a well-constructed day because I did two sessions on Islam. uh, Raheel, uh Patel, who's a former Hindu priest, now Christian, did two sessions on, on Hinduism and Eastern religion. But then they had Tom Price from OCCA did a really good session on, on you know, new spiritualities and picking yeah. up this thing that actually huge numbers, uh, particularly uh, you know those sort of 40 and under, they're not secular. Instead, they are they are spiritual, but not religious. They're, yeah. you know, they're, you look at the, the sales of books like The Alchemist or The, yeah, or the yeah. Secret or Deepak Chopra, whose books sell yeah. millions. And JP, Jordan Peterson and others, I think are on the edge of that space, Yes, actually. Yes. And I think we ignore that at our peril. Either we fight the old battles so too much of apologetics is still how do we answer the questions of atheism? They go, Well, that's not unimportant. Yeah. But the number of those people is dying. Yeah. Or we, <clears> you know, we just get obsessed with, you know, climate change and justice and all these other things. They're not unimportant, but actually there's lots of other people fighting those fights. And we miss that the coming battle is paganism. Yeah. We're back into the first century Absolutely. world. Yeah. Um so there's that I think there's that issue that's going on. Yeah. The other thing I think that goes on sometimes with people like Jordan. And, uh, and Douglas and, and Kathleen and Helen and many others we've kind of mentioned. I have a feeling, and I saw this on some of the response to the Jordan Peterson stuff, was he says some things that are profoundly uncomfortable yeah. because prophets do. So like yeah. Solas that I work for was set up by a guy called David Robertson. Um, you know, you've had interactions with David. David yeah. is quite prophetic. He'll come out and just say what he thinks. And sometimes he's Outrightly wrong Because this to this will probably leap on And say go on And give me an example But other times Where David's right But he's right in annoying ways As prophets sometimes are And I think Jordan Is similar That I think Sometimes in the church We have dropped the ball On on sexuality We have dropped the ball On masculinity I'd say I know On femininity too But particularly on men And so along comes Jordan Says some things That may be 85% right And 15% You know Off the reservation yeah. um, But it's <coughs> uncomfortable and it's much easier to go no 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 you mustn't listen to any of that. Yeah. Rather she yeah. go oh gosh yeah. maybe he's got his finger on uh, on something. The other thing by the way, um, and I, I had I'd forgotten this until you mentioned it. We were chatting about this the other day. But of course Jordan did his video to the church. But he also released a video to the Muslim community. I was getting,
0: I'm interested to know what your thoughts
1: are. Do um, you watch it? I haven't watched it, okay. I've only read summaries of it. Yeah, yeah, So I need to go watch it. So it's only a short one? But um, but firstly, was a couple of things. Firstly, as you say, it's tempting to assume that he had done exactly the same message, the message of the churches, uh, yeah. but just said hello to Muslims. Because, yeah. you know, that would be very cynical if he'd done that, because that's, oh, yeah. OK, he's marketing books, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as you pointed out, it wasn't right. It was quite. Yeah. It was quite different. In fact, he didn't talk about the fact that mosques need to be more masculine to no. invite men back. So there was interesting yeah, straight yeah, away yeah. that he didn't do. And, he didn't do that. He right? could have done that.
0: So could, and it's interesting that I, did, I didn't actually know that until he'd um, released the video. That um, he has a huge Muslim following, like loads of Muslim men, just like loads of Christian men, or formerly Christian men, or Western men who are sort of Christianized but are basically agnostic. Um, that a huge audience, and so he gets a, gets a lot of Muslim interactions because he's quite responsive to his audience. Um, he decided to make these videos because he knows this is a demographic that are watching his, his So That's why he's obviously not, he's not speaking to the church because he thinks, oh, there's no Christians who listen to me. He knows Christians listen to him, which is really instructive anyway, otherwise he wouldn't be making that video. The same with the Muslims. And, that, and the Muslim video got far more hits than the Christian one. In a short space of time and so and partly because it caused a lot of controversy amongst muslims um but, but as i say he wasn't saying that my fear was oh gosh he's just literally done the identical message and we've all gone oh fantastic he's inviting men back to church oh and to mosques and, but he doesn't say that. And, that and you'd think that mosques might be islam is a place where men ha- can be radicalized into a sort of right i've got this great system of meaning everything makes sense i've got a god who's pretty down the line unlike all the woke stuff um, he doesn't sort of give any give an inch at all. So actually, well, it might be yeah, quite appealing.
1: It is, although it reminded me. What it reminded me of it was it was interesting. There was a uh, few years ago now when there'd been an Islam the would just been an Islamic terrorist attack. It might have been the Manchester bombing. I I can't remember, or it was um, anyway. One of those incidents had happened, and I was reading the I was on the the Guardian website because I try and I try and read both kind of left and right you know media and my media consumption. I was on the Guardian website, left leading newspaper and it was reporting on the, on the crime. And then I went down to the comments section. So I was find reading comment sections. interesting. Yes, yeah. And somebody had said in the comment section, this is terrible. How on earth do we re- respond to such a nihilistic worldview? And then somebody had responded to that saying, I think that's an unhelpful word. I worry that it's we in the West who are nihilistic. Because, yeah. however warped this may, worldview may be, they have given young men a, a, a vision and a purpose, and something they feel worth is worth dying for. Yeah. And we in the West think we can counter this with with MTV, yeah. you know, consumerism and uh, and pubs or something, or something like that. And I don't think we can. And I just yeah. read this and thought that is absolutely fascinating because, for all of the warped, you know, ideology at the heart of say, particularly Islamism. Yeah. Uh, not mainstream Islam, but Islamism for a moment, yeah. of going, the fact of the matter is that that has tapped into the fact that particularly young men have this need to find something to fight for, to give their lives to, to even die for. And I think the West has failed. And one of the reasons why you've got so many problems among men right now yeah. across the board yeah. is we're not, we're not tapping that. <clears throat> And channeling that. And uh, yeah. yeah, we do genuinely yeah. think, well, you know what, just keep it on Netflix. Uh, yeah, it'll be fine, be yeah, alright. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out that it isn't. Yeah. And again, into that vacuum has come has come Islam, into that vacuum come extreme politics, you know, whether it's you um, know the rise of sort of, you know, right wing extremism, yeah, yeah. whether it's the rise of Antifa yeah. on the left. Mm-hmm. Which is also there's a lot of angry young men in, in both those movements. Yeah. I often think they're with yeah. like like flip sides of the same coin. Yes. yes. Um, the whole incel movement. And other stuff. It's absolutely filling
0: void, isn't it? It's, it's filling a void. void. The vacuum, uh, the vacuum must be filled. So, pe- people are trying to find it, as you say, left and right. And um, we aren't aware. The church, again, the church ought to be trying to fill that gap. Or at least speaking to saying, well, because we're the only ones who really can, and Jesus is the only one who can actually fill the meaning gap in someone's life in, some, in any ultimate sense. But we tend to, I say, decry. That this is happening, and then I, I think I said this in the last episode on masculinity, especially when it comes to these men on the right. Because I think there's probably more men—well, certainly more disgruntled men on the right than on the far right than disgruntled men on the far left. Would you say? I think it's quite a lot that of squishy squishies in the middle.
1: That I don't know because I was very struck by. When you look when there was a lot of that rioting kicked off in the states, yeah, uh, a year or so ago, and all the stuff you know, went down in Portland and San Francisco and, and stuff, you know, in the in the in the wake of George Floyd and BLM, sure. and all okay, the, yeah, yeah. that sort looking at pictures? A couple of things struck me. First, it was quite a white crowd, despite the fact that you know yeah. BLM had been, you know, uh, it was Black Lives Matter, and George Floyd, yeah, the um, you know, victim in that in that horrific incident, was a, was a black guy. And to go, you know, given this was all about race, it was predominantly white. And then it was quite young, which is what you'd expect. The students, isn't it? A lot of men. You look at the faces. Um... And then similar around the extreme reactions to transgender stuff, there was an incident a couple of weeks ago where there was a really nasty sort of uh, incident where there was a, a, a women's meeting in, I think it was Manchester in the UK, and a bunch of, you know, hard left extremists and extremists turned up, and, and it almost got quite physical, um, and a lot of you know women were intimidated. But I was looking at all the, all the sort of, you know, hard left, pro you know, extreme trans activists, I was like, these are all men. Yeah. This is largely a men's thing. Yeah. Yeah. So i d I'm not I think it is I think it's more of a mix. Because I do think and this ties into our episode last week a bit as well, right? Is the go that, you know, there are some characteristics of masculinity, some good there are some good ones. Absolutely there are, and we don't talk nearly enough about those. And I'm very I'm I say proud, but I'm you know, I'm I'm excited to be a, a, a white male. I think there's some great things that come with that. There's some dark there's some, some flip sides too. And one of the flip sides is I think men we are drawn to activism, which means you can get drawn into extremism, both for good and for bad. Yeah. Which is why yeah. you look at the, the, the majority of the movements that have turned the world upside down, the great engineering breakthroughs, whatever it's is as often, not exclusively, often men, because there's that drive there. Mm. But also my word, when it's movements that have destroyed the world, yeah. um you know, Napoleon, uh, Genghis Khan, yeah, yeah. Hitler. Yeah. Um, men have a lot to answer for as well. But it's the same thing. It's that you have this incredible energy and drive yeah. that you need to channel.
0: It's like it's, you, know, you watch any young boy. I don't know what your young boy.
1: Uh, oh, he just sits like, there. He sits it's, there, it's, there quietly, yeah. never causing trouble.
0: <laughs> it's, it's they build things and they break things. That's what these boys do, and you, and you, you can't it's hard to actually get that out of he wrestles them. they really they wrestle yes. and, they, and, and those are both good masculine traits but it's just what are you going to build and what are you going to destroy you need well, to destroy yeah. things yes. because you need I'm, to be able to protect the good things well, well. I'm, a
1: great think, I'm a great believer in metaphor actually this interested me this, this occurred to me the other day we were um, we, uh, we're just with our kids at the moment watching this amazing documentary from the early 2000s we discovered on, on YouTube, back in the days when the BBC wasn't like a, a complete woke mess, and it's called uh, Seven Wonders of the Industrial World, and it looks at some of the massive engineering sort of yeah. projects from, from particularly the 20th century, but a couple of older ones that really changed history, and one of them was the Hoover Dam in, uh, in America, You know, it's amazing engineering project in the 1930s, but what they did of course, they channeled the energy of the Colorado River. I remember the time because we just done the masculinity episode, thinking that is yeah. a brilliant metaphor actually for masculinity. Um, yeah. I look at my my, my son and you, you know you've got a lad too, right? To go too much, too, haven't you? Yeah,
0: that's me being very macho and boast, very macho based. Yeah.
1: And so my son, yeah, he's very. He's very physical, he loves to wrestle and uh, that will often get out of control and he'll do that inappropriate times or, or you know, sort of, <laughs> there's, there's an inappropriate physicality. Can
0: I just, and, on, can I just uh, on that, Yes. do you ever have, the, do you have this constant fear, like I, I've got this reflex that one of my sons comes <laughs> running towards <laughs> me, you have to get your elbows up because they will come at you with knees, elbows, yeah. heads, you just don't, or at any angles. Although just back- actually
1: I have a friend in the States whose daughter was also into wrestling, he said actually when the, his daughters when the kid when his when his kids were young, it was actually the daughter he had to be more afraid of because she, <laughs> she would, would play dirty. She oh, would okay, do things right. like the elbow and the eye. Oh sorry Dad, that was an accident. <laughs> uh, I was like, like yeah, yeah way really more. and yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah with Chris early on in my parenting I learned an important lesson. I got into my head that what I had to do was try and sort of squash that tendency uh-huh. out of him. Yeah. But it didn't work. No. And then older, wiser friends went, No 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 what you need to do, like with the Colorado River and what to yes. channel it. channel it and use it wisely and to go you know being physical is a good thing yeah so but how do we use it wisely you you know you're gonna as you grow up you know helping him see as you grow up you're gonna be stronger than your sister yeah so you know it's not appropriate that you know if you guys have an argument that you lash out because you will end up really hurting somebody because you're going to be stronger but the strength is a good thing yeah oh yeah And so how do you channel that masculinity and I think that's one of our societal problems actually that we've tried to squash some of this, oh, yeah. rather than go, okay, how do we channel it? I don't know
0: if you've seen the YouTube video, which related to quite a prominent theory that boys are treated as defective girls yes. in schools. And I think you can see that, like, we, we maybe we've covered this on a previous episode, or maybe it was a cancelled episode, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> going to <laughs> Intriguing our, our listeners. Are, we'll just, ask, wait, wait, when is this vault going to be opened? <laughs> the
1: this? vault of cancelled. <laughs> the part
0: of the Caps vault will be opened one day in 2042, uh, yes. after one of us dies. Um, anyway, so, um, we. I, I think the, um, yeah, the, the theory of um, how boys are treated in school is, um, because they don't play by the same rules. And this is it's very tricky to talk about because you clearly don't want to make uh, comments about it, which you can't really back up. But I think so many people um, observe this trait and that they see it that boys and girls do act differently. And they, and, 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 and the idea that we're narrativizing it and saying, well, I, you, you just want them to act differently. So you're putting it on them. So, well, I, statistically, so many people will, will um, you know, come forward and say that they haven't done that. That From the very, very early stage, the kind of behavior that manifests is different. And so how, exactly as you say, how do you channel that in a way that's appropriate? So with Malachi, for example, our eldest boy, he gets in bigger trouble than the girls do if he hurts the girls. Even even his older sister, who's stronger and bigger than him, and she'll get in trouble as well, but he gets in different kinds of trouble because I expect different things of him. I expect him to, I, I say to him, if you don't protect Learn to protect your sisters. I have to protect them from you, um, because that's what you need to learn to do. I need to teach you to protect your sisters. Because I want to protect them. They're my daughters. You don't, you don't treat them like that. Like you, you don't treat them. And and boys should treat girls differently. And I think that's, that's something of the chivalry that we we've lost yeah. in the West. So we don't we don't bring them up in that way. So you, know, you mentioned something about strength. What we tend to do in the West today, an easy way to get yourself out of being called a gender bigot or something. We just only talk about the physical strength is the difference. Um, and I know that is a significant difference, of course, and so, it's something that biologically, you know, thankfully, that is the part of biology we still do listen to, um, as much as the trans movement is trying to override that. Um, but we basically think that it would be inappropriate. The reason why you, anyone might do any chivalrous behaviour is purely because of an imbalance of strength. But what if you met a girl who was slightly... Uh, stronger than you? Would you then assume that she should do hold the door open for you or something? Wouldn't That that would just seem odd and most people would intuitively go, no that would be odd if you sort of expected, now oh, excuse me, I can see you, you've got slightly stronger biceps than uh, than this man here, um, why, why aren't you carrying this thing? It would seem still wrong, it seemed fundamentally that you're failing in your duties as a man. I, now that might be because we've inherited a narrative we should get away with. I just don't believe that's true, I believe there's something that's good true. about that. And also the other thing on that, what if you saw a man it was ever so slightly weaker looking than you not massively and he was carrying something would you go up to go oh, i'm so sorry can i carry your your bag
1: for you well i do that for you all the time Aaron, obviously <laughs> oh, because course, you know. the breeders, listeners who can't see us to go i mean aaron is like a, a tiny little weakling and i have well, biceps clearly, you, you know. could crack nuts on but um
0: <laughs> that's toxic masculine behavior guy he's just showing you what that looks like
1: well if that doesn't get us <laughs> a complaint aaron i don't know what but no i think it's interesting and of course my last thought on it, because I know there's another topic I want to talk about, is that um, is that of course you know it's about education that applies in the church, right? So in things like Sunday schools and how we raise our young people. You know, do we need to give a bit more thought to the way that boys learn and to g- the girls learn? Because because I think one of the reasons, as you say, that boys can sometimes get treated as defective girls is because the assumption is the way we teach is we sit them all down in straight rows and expect them to sit there quietly and not move. Yes. And then we sort of drill content into them. And I think a lot more boys have trouble with that style of learning. Yes. So like in our homeschool setup, you know, we know we both have kids of high energy, but particularly my son, Chris, we know that, you know, after about 45 minutes, we need to let them go have a run around in the garden for 10 minutes, and then brilliant to get another 45 minutes. If you try and go longer than that, Bad things yes. happen, and yeah. I don't think that's defective. That's right. because he's a kid who's he's physical. He's got a lot. He's high energy, and going, running to roll with that rather than try and fight against yeah. that has been transformative. And I wonder we need to think more about that in the, in yeah. the church, frankly.
0: No, I, I agree. Let me say, let me before we pivot. Um, I think there's actually something. We, some a couple more things just to bring out on that. And I'd, I'd like to hear your thought on because when you talk about boys and and, and what. How you what you want to you know inculcate in them? We you know I'm talking about ma- what masculinity is. What is good masculinity? What is bad masculinity? Again, I don't want us to just go to the um, extreme of well, there happen to be more boys who are a bit more active mm-hmm. activists. So let's just just for pure tonnage, just because it's more likely that you're going to get it right when you generalize like that. That's important. I actually think that there are traits that our men are called to as men regardless of their personality and i think that's the challenging thing that people probably are less willing to accept because it's easier to accept hey i've got i've got a son who really likes building and breaking things i've got a son who likes going and running around the garden so i'll treat him like that but if i have a girl who does it, it's fine and she can act like a boy in every in mm-hmm. every respect i'm i'm not happy doing that and i think actually that previous generations were able to go if, if if to choose manhood or to choose womanhood even if they have natural proclivities which might make them Go down the different route, which might make them go yes. right. Okay, I'll just don't worry about this kind of behaviour. Let, let's let the boy act effeminate because he's ha- he just he's just that way inclined. I don't believe that's true. I think actually that um, there are traits that we need to inculcate in men. Which are going to make them better men, and some of those are going to be harder to receive than others. Some of them na- might be more hmm. naturally masculine. It doesn't mean that they get a free pass because they might have other issues of like being toxic in their masculinity. But an effeminate boy might actually need to be challenged to be to, to address some of these other behaviours, which might not come naturally
1: to him. Just, so, it, it's you know. funny because we often agree on so much, but then um, this might be. No, it's not that we di- not that I disagree. I might just I, I might phrase the language differently. Of going so British,
0: it's not that I disagree,
1: but. But I disagree. And for Americans, <laughs> that's where way of going, I think you're so wrong. Get out no. with it, guys. Yeah, that's right. No, go it's on. not that. I think, because we were chatting around this last night over coffee, weren't we, I think, I think there was definitely a range of sort of traits that come through because we've all, you know, we've got friends who've got a classic, you know, one of their daughters is a classic
0: tom, yeah, yeah.
1: tomboy. Yeah, yeah. And they're actually quite afraid. Yeah, one of mine is but, too, yeah. Yeah, and they're actually quite afraid that, you know, the mainstream school system, you know, is probably before long going to go, oh, could she be trans? And she's, she's not, just she's a tomboy. Um, yeah. What I would say, I wouldn't say traits. I would use the language of responsibilities. I think there are certain things, I totally agree with you. There are certain things that men are called to, biblical manhood, there are certain things that women are called to, biblical womanhood. So that even if you are a guy you know, who enjoys you know, doing flower arranging or you're a woman who enjoys playing rugby, that's brilliant. And that's fine, those are great hobbies. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is there are still things that you are called to as yeah. a man so yeah. I do think within the home, and I think here yeah. I can see that it lighting up. Um, <laughs> I think you know the man is called to be the head of the the head of the home, and to go even if you are somebody who you know finds that harder, and you are uh, you know you you lean towards more perhaps in your hobbies and your pursuits more things that would be traditionally feminine. You like yeah. flower arranging a bit, of knitting, yeah. uh, or uh, painting your beard pink or something. Yeah, yeah. Fine, you are still called. Yeah, to absolutely. Lead. Yeah, it and, can look different, um, but yeah. Exactly. So I think that's the thing. I think it's what it's yes. and that those two things have got merged. What's gone wrong in society? We've collapsed those two things. Rather than going, yeah, you know, I think, so as Christians, we need to be saying, you can be free to pursue whatever interests you want within reason, Mm. because I think it's great. Mm. Um, It's interesting. I was at an event the other day where I think the hobbies came up in QA and somebody made a really insightful comment that uh in Christian leadership we've forgotten the importance of hobbies and they said, you know, um, you know, whenever I uh, whenever I interview someone for Christian leadership, you know, appointing somebody for for roles and things, one of my questions is always, what hobbies have you got? And if the oh. answer is oh I'm too busy for that, then you know, that is a red flag warning sign yeah, yeah. that person's gonna crash and burn. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think hobbies are you know, God has called us to rest and how yes. we use that is fine. Yeah. But say, we've merged that into what it means to be called to certain responsibilities. So right. separate interests.
0: It's character traits, isn't it? It's and virtues.
1: Yes, yes, and, yes yeah. and virtues yeah. and those kind of things. And there's, a set, of, there's a set of virtues yeah. that are, I think, more part of the biblical view of manhood. There are yeah. a set of virtues that are more part of the biblical frame of womanhood. And there are some in the middle. Yeah, and we're yeah. not saying that,
0: I, you know, some, some people kind of go, well, the Bible isn't explicit enough on it. But I think actually, I mean, we're talking narrative here as well as, like we're not talking about lists and go, right, is the place where like, this is how all men are supposed to act at all times. This is how women are all supposed to act at all times. But it doesn't necessarily have that kind of explicitness, but it has a heck of a lot on on the different things that men and women do. And, and it shows them some of narratively. It might show these he- hero stories. You might think of David's Mighty Men, for example. Um, and you might think of different examples where women and men show different heroic characteristics in their different, um, in their different ways, respective to the different callings they may have. Now, again, we are in, to- in totally different generations and different contexts across history. Those things might look different, but they should carry some, some semblance of connection. So that if you were to meet a Christian in the 10th century, it wouldn't be, they wouldn't be completely bamboozled by your interpretation of how. Um, if you explain to them what the things you're doing and how it makes sense within your context, you would be completely bamboozled about you sort of, they would, they would kind of think you're shirking your duty. Biblically if, if they could show you exactly and that's the issue.
1: Yeah, so I and to sort of finish the loop on this part Before we look at our second issue yeah. for a few minutes. I think um, One of the things I find fascinating about about Jordan who goes this yes. route uh, And then from from the well, spot, you not secular but from a non-christian perspective and then from the Christian perspective Mary Ebstad That plays the same game in primal screams. but we mentioned Yeah a, a few times. What's fascinating is whether you come at this question from biology when you come at this question spiritually in the same place. Mm. Because one of Jordan's points would be the masculine and female traits, you know, he largely has bought fairly wholesale into the story of evolution. Yes. If you take that story, you've had millions and millions and millions of years of evolution, which has selected for male and female traits. And the idea that simply by sort of, you know, shouting loudly enough in the pages of The Guardian, yeah. you can overcome that, you yeah. are fooling yourself. Yeah. yeah. Because that biology runs so deep. Now, I yes. don't think biology is destiny. But on the other side of stuff, from the Christian perspective, should we surely not go, well if we believe that God has built things into male and female, God quite deliberately chose male and female in a way they're designed to fit together complementarily. He didn't just create identical parts that you can switch around. So you end up on the same. So whether you come at it from biology or you come at it from ontology and theology, you end up with going, it looks very, very likely, does it not? There is something profoundly unique about being a man, yeah. and something profoundly unique about being a woman, which actually, far from denigrate, raises up. Because one of my concerns, and let's not get into this rabbit hole now. but uh, we may have touched on it on this episode. One of my concerns say, around the gay marriage discussion, I think we may have covered it on that episode, is when you have a if you have a same-sex couple um, come together and they decide to have children. So, uh, Astro and I had some friends. Few years ago, who were you know same-sex couple, uh, female. Um, they had children by artificial yeah. insemination, um, sperm donation. And um, one of the things I found interesting about that was going well. If you'd say that two women can form a family and raise kids, they effectively say, well, men aren't needed. There's there's nothing that a man adds to to, yeah. to parenting. And again, if it's a gay couple, if it's a gay couple, yeah, that message is going. Well, we don't need a woman in this. Actually, there is nothing that a woman brings to family and parenting. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the traditional you know biblical god's design for sexuality says that actually masculinity is precious there is something that only a father can bring yes. and femininity is precious there is something that only a woman can bring and that when you bring those two together it and when it's functioning as god intended it yes. is amazing <laughs> absolutely um, and the whole that one whole one flesh dear Jesus yeah. Is, is, is glorious. which talking parenting does segue to the other issue that we should spend a few minutes talking about <laughs> you're
0: you're, you're such a good segue i'm i a segue ruiner i'd have to i have some one more thing to say oh go like, on then you <laughs> one more thing
1: yeah, um, i just
0: wanted to recommend a couple of books actually but also books, to mention books uh, yeah who needs books when you're, when you're on the m1 and just making it up on the spot um i i think um firstly actually we, we might i might have mentioned many episodes ago, uh, Melanie Phillips' The Ascent of Women, oh, which yes. talks about the right, the origins of the suffragette movement and how complementarity about men and women was bound up to the origins of the feminist movement, which I find fascinating. So, why do we want more, more women voting and having a say in the public sphere? Because they're different to men. And the, 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 the women were recognising, you need some women around, because we have, a, they were even so uh, uh, willing to say things like, because we have a more of a maternal instinct. And are more more nurturing because you guys just want to kind of go and blow people up and are are kind of you know um peacocking against each other almost just sort of trying to impress each other get one up on each other rivalries and you're you're thinking imperialistically you're only thinking about expansion and conquering you're not thinking about uh, the people along the way so you've got these terrible social housing problems in victorian england or whatever and so you need some women involved because we were, that was one of the arguments they were making. So, what feminists would make that argument now? We're more maternal instinct because we like have children and we have wombs, so that gives us a sort of, you know, a, a different thing to add to this uh, equation. We're almost trying to pretend that isn't the case now. To assume mm. that the motherhood that is has been so natural to so many women for so many years is almost something you can just pick up and put down, and pretend women can just suppress it, pretend it's not there, which is so not true. Anyway, that's one one thing. Another book is Doug Wilson's. Um, Future Men. I, I think I, I think you, I recommended this to you earlier. I, there? I yes, have you read it yet? I
1: have not read it yet.
0: I'm recommending Isn't it live. I'm recommending it to Andy Banister right now, just to read it. It's on his shelf. Okay. Future Men. It's a short book, and Doug Wilson's a good, really good writer and quite a courageous writer on issues of masculinity. So I'd recommend that. Um, and the other one, of course, the classic one would be, which often has caused controversy, but um, I don't well, uh, yeah, from detractors, would be John Piper and, and Wayne Grudem's uh, Biblical Man, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. There are all sorts of takedowns of that, most recently recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. But actually, I think um, that the blue book, as it used to be known, has still got some really, really great stuff in it. And I, and I think was holding the line on complementarianism back then, even if I, another time, I'll, I'll, I'll speak about ways that I would even push beyond that book. Um, in some of the things that I'm getting at now, but we won't, we'll save that for some other vault, some sub-vault at some other time. But speaking of John Piper, um, this is where it segues nicely. This is what Andy was trying to segue us to. Um, yeah, let me read out this quote that I put up on social media recently from John Piper, because he, he was going after the Roe v. Wade uh, decision. So, of course, we did our episode on abortion a few weeks ago, and wonderfully... Um, not long after that episode, clearly, again, people are listening to our episode, yes, things just well. happened, You know, Jordan Peterson's like, I need to, those part of the gaps guys are onto something, I've released this. So clearly, Roe v. Wade was overturned uh, not too long after, which is obviously it made, um, it took away the constitutional right in the US for a woman to get an abortion. Then it allowed each state to decide whether or not, um, you know, they could make abortion illegal or not. So then it does create all these issues um, for the pro choice movement um, in terms of Planned Parenthood places needing to sort of close down and that kind of thing and also people crossing state borders because there will clearly be some states that do make it legal or, or retain its legality and others that will make it totally illegal and, and some states have begun in that direction already so um he was responding to that john pipe has been a huge advocate of abortion um over the years even advocate though it, of abortion reasons. sorry advocate of abortion issue advocate, uh, yeah advocating a pro-life basically the, the <laughs> well done good job. I see John
1: there. going what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's
0: going on here yeah He's like, I've just been misreading him the whole yeah. time um, and he, here's um, a, a quote that came from a, an article he, that came up online recently hmm. a fascinating story he says I took an abortionist doctor out to lunch this is one of the most memorable things in my life <laughs> I felt so inauthentic, not dealing directly with abortionists, so I found a way to contact a local abortionist doctor about four blocks from my house, took him out to lunch. I told him, I'm a local pastor, I'm pro-life, I want to understand you, would you go out to lunch? And he was willing. I went with my 10 points to take my case that he was killing children. And he disarmed me immediately by saying, I know I'm killing children. It's the lesser of two evils. The other evil, he said, is that it's unjust that men can have sex and bear no consequences, but women can have sex and have to bear all the consequences. That's unjust. Killing the child is the solution to that injustice. He really was unbelievably honest with me. He said, I wouldn't be doing it except my wife pressures me to do it. She believes it's the path of justice. And so it's fascinating, see you know, some of the kind of responses to that even uh, that have come in, um, that I think we, we sort of take that in, in different ways but it does show a number of things doesn't it about how firstly how you're kind of getting an insight into what's going on in the consciences of people we wouldn't normally speak to so i applaud his effort to go and speak to um, an abortionist doctor when he's calling out abortion and of course the doctors are in a very tricky position they've trained their whole life to be in this in this um, profession and their livelihoods at stake and all the rest of it and they in some cases they may um, lose their jobs if there's no sort of situation mm-hmm. where, where a conscience clause is is allowed. So it's a really interesting thing how that brings up um, the, the notion of injustice, and, and we often say, "Don't you realise it's murder?" And this guy's like, "Yeah, I know it's murder. I've made a choice."
1: Well, the, I think the other thing interests me, you're right. A couple of things was looking at the responses when you post that on Facebook. The initial responses um, I saw from people leaping in were people going, "That's his, this is monstrous. He's a murderer and stuff." And I, like you, I was very impressed that John had taken the time to, to listen because I thought what was interesting was it is very easy to write people off. You know, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life, very strongly pro-life, very easy to demonize the other side and go, they're all baby killing psychopaths. Yeah. Um, one of the things that first made me a bit careful about that was when, when lockdown was going on for COVID, yeah. you know, you and I and others were on the sort of lockdown questioning camp. And of course, we had that fired at us. We had people go, You're killing grandmothers because yeah, you're questioning yeah. face masks and everything. And to go, the murdering thing is so easy to demonize the other side. And what I think is interesting is the slight humanizing quality they're bringing out, going, Okay, however much I would disagree with the, with the conclusions of that abortion doctor, he's not sitting there thinking, Hey, let's just dispatch as many of the little and whatnots as possible. Isn't it great to be a mass murdering psychopath? So he, he can see the tension, um, says the first thing. And I think it's too easy not to listen to the other side, however hard it it may be. Yeah. Yeah. And then secondly, is going—he's also put his finger on an issue here of going: abortion is an incredible injustice. I mean, you're taking a life, yeah. um, and, and you know nothing is going to convince me to change my my view on 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 that. Uh, however, that doesn't take away the fact that he's absolutely right. There is another injustice going on, and I think sometimes in the pro-life camp. When we don't talk about that, and I want to be careful, a lot of the pro-life camp are aware of that and have done stuff there. And I remember being very struck by, um, when I was at college, theological college 20 years or so ago, one of our ethics lecturers, him telling the story when we had a lecture on abortion, about how when he'd been younger, he and his wife had actually sent out, set up effectively a little crisis pregnancy refuge in their house. He said, for some years, our house was full of teenage girls who yeah. basically yeah. had been thrown out of home, You know, as, as often happened back in the day if you were pregnant. Yes. And he said, we came to the conclusion that we couldn't be pro-life without following through. So we followed through. We'd have five or six in the house at any given time. Every, you know, we just wow. and, and, it, and it was expensive and costly and messy, but we felt we had to do it. And I was like, okay, and I think there's a degree about, for those of us who are you know, holding the biblical line on some of this stuff, to ask ourselves the question of going, okay, how do we stand up for the rights of the unborn, but how do we also make sure we're willing to stand with people in the, in the cost of the ethical consequence? And a parallel example to that would be around same-sex attraction. Um, you know, I remember a sort of friend of mine who's same-sex attracted living a biblically faithful life um, sort of saying, you know, the biggest issue for, for many Christians who are same-sex attracted is, is not so much sex is so much sex as loneliness, because right. if you're not in families, and he was, yeah. he was incredibly grateful that he was in a church where when the pastors became aware of the issue he was wrestling with, they found him a Christian family to, who were willing to, you know, sort of offer him space in their home. so he yeah. now lives in community and he said that was transformative, because trying to follow the biblical sexual ethic, living as a single guy in a flat on your own yeah. almost destroyed him but yeah. actually, when the church is willing to go, no, we will help you. Yeah. His, pa- his pastor saying to him, "Have my mobile phone number, and if you are mm. ever tempted to do anything stupid on a Friday night yeah. downtown, call me. Yeah. Call yeah. me, and we will come and help you." Yeah. I was like, again, it's the rubber hitting the road of ethics. Yeah. So I think that's what John's yeah. getting to. What was interesting was that the comments down that thread when you posted it. I was encouraged when other Christians got more into that of going, yeah. "How do we? How do we discuss these two issues? There are two issues." Yeah, yeah here, and it's not enough to go, yeah, abortion abortion is wrong, but we're not going to worry about the other issue. Yeah, yeah abortion's I, wrong, but let's deal with the other issue. Absolutely.
0: What we need to do is, is what we always need to be careful, we wary, especially in this country, where every, everyone's reacted to Roe v. Wade in a sort of... <gasps> Let's make sure that never happens here. Look, these horrible people, like the like SBUC, they kind of talk about them as a horrible lobby group. But actually, the wonderful organisation I mentioned them on the last episode, the Society for the Protection yeah, of Aborted Children, do
1: amazing. Work. And, and
0: so people now, people on the left are kind of they're worried. They're a very powerful lobbying group. They're going to come and make the same thing happen here. Well, it's much more complicated here. But I, I do think it would be great if something similar happened. It doesn't work. This is not the same kind of issue. Really, we don't have the same. We don't have Roe v. Wade to work from. But we have other, other acts and things that need to be repealed. But I do think it starts by um, encouraging people who are pro-life to speak out. So you talk about cost. Just speaking about it is costly. Just sharing your opinion on it and, and challenging an opinion, being willing to be told off because you sound like you're being insensitive. Be be sensitive be kind to be loving about the people in those situations the, the mothers who go through that but don't allow that that kind of fear of being called certain names to stop you saying things that are clearly need to be said, they clearly need to be said at, at this time, because we're always distracting yes. away from the headline by come and look at the subplot, come look at the. And let me just say, it's not, I'm not when I say subplot, I don't mean that the woman's plight, for example, and the really complex situations don't matter. I'm just saying that when you when you're allowing the, the murder of children, and if you call it, if you believe it's murder, of call children, it what it is. Call it what it is, and don't say. Well, it's just the same as someone having a really difficult time. A really, really difficult time. Really, really, really incredibly challenging difficult to know. Murdering a child an ethical issue. You don't just get to um, say, well, we're just weighing it up, like this apportionist doctrine that Piper's talking about. I just think this is one injustice. It's bad. I don't like killing children. But there's this horrible other injustice. Well, one thing that I loved that when people started saying it on the left in America after Roe v. Wade was, well, this is outrageous. We should actually have men pay the, pay the price and have to kind of you know go and help sort out the uh, children. So like, oh, you mean have families and marriage? Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's let's force well, men to be better men. Yeah, the other of... issue
1: I thought that I liked about that, about that 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 story that you that John Piper told there is it also gets to an issue that I don't think is talked about enough either in wider society or when Christians engage in this issue, and particularly here in this country where it, 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 yeah, it is much more costly because the, the pro-life movement is a bit is, is not as organized and as big as it is in the yeah in the US, is that actually how in many cases how much when someone goes forward for abortion, you know, to what extent is that purely her choice? To what extent yeah. has somebody been you know sort of forced or pressurized into that because either you've got an absent father and so the you know yeah. the woman is left on her own. If I have this baby, I'm on my own because the guy has just disappeared over the next horizon. Yeah, or you know, the guy's pressurizing her. Um, and so to go, actually, there is a degree to which, if I was going to play devil's advocate here for a moment and go, the, the feminist angle on abortion is more complex than is sometimes made out, actually. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if we have the data, actually, quite frankly, from the stuff I've read on all the reasons behind why a woman, you know, when women choose abortion, yeah. why yeah. Do they do, and to what extent when there's other options available. Because one of the things that the, I think the pro-life movements in the States, who are obviously a bit more organized and well-funded over here, have found, is when you give women who would are thinking about opting for an abortion, when you give them another option, very often they take it. Yes. Um, and the other thing was interesting, there's an amazing organization in the, in the U.S., it was a few years ago. I think they're still going. Um, called Save the Stalks, which I thought was a great <laughs> organisation. And what they had done was what they were doing in terms of their campaigning and their their way of changing the type on the, the, the script for abortion. Their their conclusion was that a lot of the way that some of the pro-life movements have, have carried on, you know, showing pictures of mangled aborted babies and things. Yeah. You can only get so far with shock value. They take, took a different approach. Was they they park. Um, They've got these, these vans with, uh, you know, sort of 3D scanners that do really detailed, uh, wow. you know, ultrasound. Wow. park on their abortion clinics, and offer people, offer people a free scan, because wow. a lot of, they, they figured out a lot of women going for abortions in the States are they, people who haven't got a lot of money, they can't afford the high yeah, health yeah, care. Yeah. And what they do is they offer a scan and a cup of tea, and they quite deliberately were not then offering, you know, advice on the back of that, but simply, here's a picture here's of your unborn child. And even the question, by the way, if you, you thought, is, is there a name for this? This life, the club and they, of cells. Yeah, try but deliberately try not to use that kind of language. Yeah, but same, yeah. it's simply doing that, that suddenly now there's a picture. Yeah, and suddenly now there's a name. Is transformative. Yes. And But out of those stories, finally, often somebody felt, well, I've got no other choice. But once you suddenly see this as another human being, yeah. suddenly you're much more realising maybe I need to find some other choices. Yes. Um, absolutely. So I think the John Piper thing really gets into. Yeah. That and I and I think, and I, and I want to be very careful because you know, I can see pro life advocates you know, commenting and going, Hang on, a lot of the pro life movement does do this, but I think yeah. there's a lot more needs to be done yeah. to talk about how we make sure that women don't end up in that yes. situation.
0: Yeah, that's so good to hear about those sorts of um, approaches, Andy, because I, I think we need to play the long game sometimes with, uh, with the pro life movement because it, it helps women, especially, understand. The pro-life argument, um, when they when they understand that you care about them, and as much as you can try and say that, it it needs to be shown. You have to go much go above and beyond because they cannot hear the arguments about about this little person being a person, or the fact that it's. They know it's a complex issue. They know that you know it's, it's a challenging thing, and so not all of the people who are pro-choice are um, happily murdering people or happily go. No, it's just pure cells. Now there are plenty who do, and I I find less respect for those who are most brash in their murder of children um, and they don't have any kind of conscience in it at all. But I do also think there are many who are conflicted and who say, I know this is difficult, I don't quite know where I stand, I just know I don't want... Um, women to be mistreated. I just know I don't want women to have to bear the consequences with no uh, thought at all and I I just think the pro-life movement is just going to leave them high and dry as long as the baby gets born and they leave them alone it doesn't matter. Of course we need to try and be holistic but we need to keep the headline the headline Um, and we need to show that we can actually win them over and hopefully win them over as advocates advocates to the movement because we care about women as much as we care about little 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 women and little 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 men as well.
1: Yeah, and it just occurred to me, it's what you said there a moment ago, it just made me think of, because um, obviously it's often, the issue is often of course framed in terms of the way if you're not careful, when you have a discussion around this, it very quickly gets into, particularly if you're a guy advocating a pro-life position, it gets into, yeah. you know, well hang on a moment, you're telling women what to do with their bodies. it just occurred to me, I've never seen anyone try this. Maybe someone's done it somewhere. It's an interesting sort of theoretical thought experiment one could engage in, couldn't you, and say, so, well imagine a, imagine a world where actually, Imagine a world where men and women both had equal responsibility for the unborn child. But you know, you have to tell it through the story of a science fiction lens. There's a world where, <laughs> where actually, where both men and women carry the thing together. I don't know quite how that would work. Um, but if that were the case, if both men and women's bodies were involved in the raising and the gestation of the child, would the person you're talking to, who is in favour of abortion at that point, go right? Okay, absolutely. At that point, abortion is wrong because. Is the core issue the fact that it, the unfairness between the genders huh. is that yeah, the issue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you took it away, and if both were equally affected by the consequences of pregnancy, would that be the game changer? Oh, yeah. I just ponder because if that's the issue, we need to think more about how we deal with that perceived yes. unfairness. And of course, that brings us back to you know the biblical view of masculinity and femininity Absolutely. and family because. Yes. We can't get around the fact that actually you could argue pregnancy is unfair. Firstly, as part of the fall, of course, we know that pregnancy, yeah. that childbearing, is going to be painful. But also the fact that it, it we, you know, it is the woman's role to raise the child, the child to, to bear the child. As a man, I can't do that. Yeah. But in, if the family is functioning properly, what are the sacrifices as a man that I am making in order to, you know, help and support? Time. We're into Ephesians five, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ love yeah. the church. Yeah. And yeah, if the woman is making a sacrifice through the pregnancy for the unborn child, okay, then what is the sacrifice for the family that a man is making? If he yes. isn't, then he damn well needs to make one. Yeah. Because yeah. quite frankly, if you're not, if you're not manning it up at that point <laughs> yeah. as as the husband, yeah. then all you are doing is greasing the skits for the for the pro choice movement exactly. It's going, yeah, men are just basically yeah. having all of the all of the all of the fun and none of the consequences. Absolutely. And I get therefore the anger. Yeah. And actually the solution to that though, I will be advocating, is not the killing of unborn children. There is the, the solution to that is the family, is men taking responsibility Absolutely. and making sure that we do everything we can to level that field mm. so that women don't feel mm. that they are purely mm care and the care
0: for Yeah, and this is I exactly say, it brings us right back round to Pete Jordan Peterson's message to the church, doesn't it get men back in church, taking responsibility, caring about purpose and destiny, finding, loving and caring for a wife and actually devoting themselves to her and staying committed and, and uh, faithful to her, raising families, cultivating the world in positive ways, changing the world in positive ways where it needs changing and transforming. Um, those are things that we need to see. We need to see issues like abortion treated like that and, and men to be and to be brought in to to be part of that fight part of that battle because you know there are plenty of bad men and, and, and feminism as a movement in the west has not ultimately made men better men it's actually created more emasculated more effeminate men and more toxic men or allowed the toxic men freer reign because they have fewer responsibilities there's no there's no kind of manhood to call them to account there's just a kind of equalizing trying to sort of have a go at them, and some of them are just gonna, you know, the men going their own way kind of movement. They'll just go off and go, oh, well, you know, I'll leave you all to it then, and I'll just go and decide really what I want to do. And I'll certainly leave the woman to it and just abandon her to her situation and carry on to the next thing. And there's no communities which are bold enough to call those men to account. So you are being a bad man. The answer to bad men is good men. And of course, how do good men, how are good men good men? They're not good men by just being macho and being tough for the sake of it, they are by Uh, by paying deference to the good man that is Christ, the ultimate expression of uh, a good masculine man who came. And he showed us all these traits. He shows some of the traits that you'll see in, let's say, stereotypical masculine heroes, but he'll also show those which subvert subvert some of those uh, heroic motifs as well. And so I think we need to uphold that, and uphold the fact that we need to be made strong as men uh, by our weakness, sometimes, I and mean, by you know, enabling us to to be humble and say we need God's help in our life, and those the men who are able to get that, they're able to be actually very tremendously influential and uh, and uh, insignificant in things they do in their lives, and that might just be the significance of raising a family and doing it well and cultivating good children, sending them out into the world uh, as arrows from your quiver, as it were. But that's a whole topic for another time. But anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this. On not the road. Of the gap's on pod the road. on the road. Do we have a name for Pod on the
1: road? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, not have, even the pun meister can come. Not even that. the pun can uh, can come up with, uh, with Excellent. one. Excellent. But uh, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed it and as ever. You know, if you agree with us or disagree with us, we don't believe it's our way or the highway. <laughs> Aye. Aye. I,
0: literally, I didn't. I didn't know you were doing that. I thought you were literally going to say if you disagree with us, we don't care. But
1: you know no, exactly. Yes. Anyway, until well, next time. Farewell. Farewell. farewell.